I can say good morning because it's still technically morning. Good morning. Today we kick off a brand new sermon series and in the next five weeks we're going to unpack together one of the most famous and possibly beautiful passages of scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to read to you now from verses 1 through to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The title of our series is called A Letter to London because inspired and challenged by Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And as we figure out as a community what it means to be a church that is not only in London, but for London, we know that God's love moves us to respond. That every single person sitting here in the room and every single person watching online who has encountered the love of God is being called to be sent out like a letter, called to be sent out with a message of God's love through words, but also to carry God's love through our actions. You know, I think that God has never stopped calling our church to be known first and foremost above anything else, to be known for its love. And if HTB had to write a letter to London, I think it doesn't need to be very long. In fact, I, only, I think four words are necessary. The letter would simply say, London, I love you. But what is love? And what does it really mean? What is this love? Well, I want to tell you about the first boy I ever loved. <laughs> the year is 1987. And I am five years old. <laughs> And uh, when I was five years old, I actually rocked a very cool um, bob haircut because they were all the rage in the 80s. And um, I grew up in North London and I lived in a council house um, where basically, well, actually my mum still lives in that council house. But um, I don't know why, but um, during the first five years of my life, my parents never showed me how to use a knife and fork. And I think they thought that we've taught this kid how to use a spoon and chopsticks. So that's going to serve her quite well in life. So I arrived at primary school, aged five. And uh, at my first day of school in turquoise class, I walked into the classroom and I knew no one and I knew nothing. I had no skills. I had no abilities. I had nothing to offer anyone. I was just a five-year-old little girl. And the first person I met in class was a boy called Edward Watts. And um, Edward Watts had blonde hair and blue eyes. And I think he was a year or two older than me. Anyhow, Edward came towards me and he said, hi, I'm Edward. And then he showed me where the pens and pencils were. And he um, 
told me what we had to do at tidy up time. And he took me to the reading corner, which is where we sat and would read our books. And he basically showed me where everything was and what we had to do. And at lunchtime on the first day of school, Edward took me to the dining room and he showed me where we lined up to get our food. And then he showed me where to get our knife and fork. And then we walked to the dining table and Edward sat next to me and we ate lunch together. And um, because I didn't know how to use a knife and fork, I looked at Edward for a little while and I was trying to figure out what he was doing. And then I picked up the knife and I started chopping the food with my knife. But um, I didn't know that um, you should you, you, I started chopping the food and then I started like prodding the food with my knife. And then I thought, oh, I just use this knife to shovel the food in my mouth. So there I was like shoveling the food in my mouth. And then Edward turned around and he saw me and he was horrified. And he said, Catherine, don't do that. You could really hurt yourself. You should use the fork to put the food in your mouth. And so Edward Watts was the first person who taught me how to use a fork. And um, our primary school was kind of slap bang in, in Paddington and it actually straddled a very kind of rich middle class area. And then there were also a whole bunch of council estates that also surrounded the school. And so the school was very diverse. And um, I remember that Edward and his mum would invite me and my older brother to go and play at their house. And um, when we arrived at Edward's house, when we got there, we realised that Edward's house looked very different to our house. And um, but Edward would welcome us in and he would show us all the different rooms and he shared all of his toys with us and we could play wherever we wanted. And um, even when my brother, who is three years older than me, turned to Edward and said, let's lose her and go play all the cool boy stuff on our own. You know, Edward said no. Let's all play together. Don't leave her out. And honestly, I don't really know why um, Edward was so nice to me, but actually, um, don't tell my mom, but um, Edward was the first boy who ever kissed me <laughs> in school. I know. And actually, um, I actually don't know what happened to Edward because actually, I think about a year later, he, his family moved and I never saw him ever again. But Edward Watts, <laughs> if you are out there, <laughs> I just want to say, the way you loved me changed my life. You know, in the past 35 years, I have met some very gifted, some very talented, and very successful people. Um, I represented a few of them as their lawyer. But when I look back at the entirety of my life, I think it is the love that a seven-year-old little boy shared with a five-year-old little girl that really has made the lasting impression and impact on my life. I will never forget Edward Watts. And I think that's because love is greater than gifts, success, and possessions. Love is greater than gifts, success, and possessions. You know, the preacher to the Pope, Raniero Cantalamessa, writes this in one of his books. He said, the world is structured on the values of ambition and career and encourages us to keep climbing the social ladder. 
From elementary school on, what is instilled in young people is the importance of having careers, of asserting themselves, even at the expense of others, and of being first. But Jesus' way of thinking is 180 degrees different. It doesn't mean that you don't use your gifts. It means just the opposite. It means we do not use our gifts for ourselves to dominate others. Instead, we use our gifts for the service of others, not to be served, but to serve. And Aristotle once wrote that when people don't feel loved, they seek to be admired. Because love is greater than gifts. I was born in East London, and then I grew up in North London, and then I went to secondary school in South London, and now you could say I live in West London. So I love all of London, and uh, there is no favourite area, just so you know, not North or South, but, um, you know, I, I love this place. It is my home, and it has a very special place in my heart. But I would say over the past few years, as I've spent some time outside of London, particularly when I travel across the UK, I've come to understand that not everyone loves Londoners. Shock, horror. <laughs> now, uh, when I speak to people who are not from London, who don't live in London anymore, and these are generalizations, and these people will remain anonymous, um, what I have learned is that um, I've been told that we are a little bit snobby and a little bit arrogant, that we're a little bit self-absorbed and self-important. We think the world and the universe revolves around us. And some of the time, we're a little bit impatient. We don't like waiting. And um, I'm not sure what you think about some of these kind of quirks and behaviours, but if I'm honest, in my day-to-day -day London life, I can see that kind of stuff flaring up within me as I go about my business, as I'm trying to just survive and live in this big city. And Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And Corinth at the time was a major commercial and trade centre. It's actually one of the largest cities in the known world at the time. It was multicultural, it was densely populated, and it was very diverse. And it was a bit dog-eat-dog, -dog, really. Everyone was kind of success-oriented, and actually the culture was quite sex-obsessed, and there were no rules at all. Everyone came to Corinth to make it, and that meant that the city attracted a lot of really knowledgeable, talented, gifted, visionary, and brilliant types of people. You know, all the types of people that gravitate towards cities to kind of make it to thrive, to be driven, and ambitious, and successful. And I, probably a lot of the people who came to Corinth came because they wanted to use the city to serve themselves, to use the city to get what they really wanted. And Paul founded this church in Corinth. And when some of the people there became Christians, the church was brilliant on the outside. There were so many people with gifts, and um, the church was full of really talented people. But then Paul starts to hear about some other stuff going on inside the church. And he writes this letter because the church is full of division, jealousy, broken relationships, and failure. And the church had become arrogant, puffed up, proud, and rude. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a part of this story and wider conversation that Paul is having with the church. So um, sorry to drop this bombs bombshell, but um, 1 Corinthians 13 
is not about romantic love. No matter how many people choose to read this passage of scripture at their wedding. You know, we can think that 1 Corinthians 13 is this poetic and beautiful piece of literature penned by the very romantic Paul. But actually, it's a very provocative and challenging letter to the church to tell it to wake up and smell the coffee. Paul is saying, love has got to be the motivation behind everything. Love is our motivation. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the chapter before, Paul writes about the church being a body full of different parts. There's an eye and an ear and a foot and a hand, and no one can say to any other part of the body, I don't need you, because we all need one another. There is meant to be a unity and a diversity in the body gathered around the person of Jesus. And I have to say, I love this church because of the beautiful unity and diversity that is in God's family. And when we worship God together, something happens in the room. And I love it. It's one of the beautiful gifts that God has given us. And Archie mentioned last week that the vision statement of HDB is to play our part in the evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. I mean, it's a pretty big vision. And honestly, I think the vision is so big that it's impossible to achieve without God. You could say that the vision is perceived by the eyes. And maybe the um, strategy is conceived by the brain. And the plan is executed by the hands. But the why of the vision comes from the heart. The heart is meant to be motivated by love. Everything that we do has to be motivated and driven by love over anything else. Because if we're not doing it out of love, we might as well just stop right now and go home. Because everything we do is just creating noise. We become like a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. You know, for those of us who follow Jesus, love has got to be our driving motivation because Paul says, without love, we have nothing, we are nothing, and we gain nothing. Eugene Peterson writes in the message translation this, I'm bankrupt without love. But who represents the beating heart of the body? What is love and who gets it to define it? Jesus is the model of love. Jesus is the definition of love. And Jesus is the personification of love. If you want to know what love looks like, look at the life of Jesus. He is the fullest revelation of a God who embodies love, who moves towards us in love every single day. And that is why Jesus needs to be at the heart and center of his church. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians to say, you've forgotten about Jesus. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten what it's all really about. Because it, the church can only ever be about Jesus. 
It is all about Jesus and can only ever be about Jesus. You know, love isn't just warm feelings and affection. It's about commitment. It's about behavior. It's about action. Because Jesus responds and acts out of love. You know, Paul's understanding of love was totally anchored in the person and work of Jesus, the Son of God who came, who lived, who died on the cross, who rose again and is still alive and at work today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' body was broken for you. Jesus' blood was shed for you. And he gave himself away for you. And I think today Jesus is saying, I am here for you. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, I would still give away my life for you. He offers you perfect love that can cast out fear. Do you know the love that you've been looking for all your life is found in a person and his name is Jesus. The Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. And that is what we are gonna celebrate and remember through the bread and the wine in a moment. In my Alpha group two weeks ago, we went around the group asking people the question, what do you think about Jesus? And I was really struck because um, one woman said this. She said, I think Jesus is the epitome of love. He is infinitely patient, infinitely kind, and infinitely loving. You know, when I am impatient, when I am unkind, and I am unloving, God doesn't stop loving me. God is totally committed to me. And he has made covenantal promises to us that he will never break or go back on. That is the kind of love that God offers us. And that is the message at the heart of the gospel, that it's not about what you've done, but it's about what God has done for us. We will never be able to earn it. And we probably will still fall short every single day. But God will never stop loving us and he will never stop giving to us and pouring out his spirit to help us. You know, Romans 5.5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I think that sums up God's letter to London. I think God is saying to the people of London, I love you. And God is saying to every single person sitting here today and watching it online, I love you. I think you, you might struggle to believe that. I love you. But he's never gonna stop saying, I love you. The opposite of loving someone is using someone. And I think we all know that because we hate being used and manipulated. And when we kind of see it happening, 
there's something in us that kind of like rails against being used by somebody else. Maybe when you first arrived in London, maybe as a student for your first job or to make it in the city, you may have thought, I need to use this city to serve me, to get what I really want. But if you've encountered Jesus and experienced his his love, then that relationship turns everything upside down. When you experience God's love, not only is your heart changed and your perspective is changed, but the way you see the world around you, the way you see the people around you, and even the way you see yourself starts to change. Instead of wanting to use the city to serve us, we remember Jesus, our beating heart, and know that we're called to live differently that we're supposed to give ourselves away to serve and love others in our city. What if we became people who loved the people in our lives so well that their lives were changed? I still think about Edward Watts and the way he loved me and changed my life. And you know, in the kids group over in Church House, there are little children who can show each other love And that love can change the trajectory of another child's life. Do you know what God can do through your offering of love today? We love because he first loved us. You know, some days there are good days. And some days there are bad days. And there will often be days where we don't get it right. But every day, We get back up and we go again. Because Jesus promises us that whoever loses their life for him will ultimately find it. One of the best parts of being ordained in the Church of England is this privilege of marrying people. And um, there's a little part in the wedding service when we get to the marriage vows where it gets me every single time. And I know that 1 Corinthians 13 is not about romantic love. But I do think about what it could look like to be a people, to be a church at this time who stand up and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me into London to be the kind of person that is committed and faithful to the people of London, who will love and comfort the people of London, who will protect and honour the people of London for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health. London, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.